right, guys, welcome back to the Short Story Long Podcast, where we share the work and play of working-class Midwestern millennials. I'm your host, Sam Derrickson, joined by my co-host, Andrew Dial. What's up, guys? And again, another co-host, special guest, Mr. Cody Wilmberg. What's up? So, just decided that uh, now that Christmas is over and New Year's is over, it's time to buckle back in for 2023 and uh, hopefully keep growing this podcast and make it better than ever and as of today on the what's new we officially hit 1,000 downloads total so thank you all for that we appreciate you guys listening and uh, again please continue to share this with people that you think might enjoy it so today uh, we want to share a story that has taken place with me and boss man a couple years ago I've shared it with a few people, but we're going to record it for posterity. But first, uh, let's go around and talk about what's new. Dozer, what's new with you? Well, I guess what's new with me besides, uh, you know, coming off the Christmas New Year holiday is it is my birthday today. Happy birthday. So I'm 30. Happy birthday, sir. 34 years old. And I was a couple years ago, uh, I was coming up to my birthday and I had, uh, or do we want to do this right now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well, uh, I had a, a thought in my head, and it, it sparked a Facebook post, and every year or so it gets reshared, and, and I still think it means a lot to people, so we decided we were going to share it on our podcast. So this is when, no, well, it, it'll say. I'll just start reading it. As, I, as I'm laying under my Jeep fixing my clutch, I had a snowball thought. I am glad I have the tools and the place to fix this thing. Then I thought, how did I get all these tools, parts, a place to do it, and knowledge, and so on? With my 26th birthday, which I'm 34 now, coming up in a few days, that means I've been working hard collecting tools, wrenching on things with motors, and wrenching on things with motors for 10 years. I went from borrowing my dad's Craftsman tool set and Jerry Brummer's tools, which is my father-in-law, to having my own and knowing how to do things myself. That got me thinking about how much Jeeps and other motorized vehicles have been part of my life. Cars have brought me to hangouts. Cars have brought me on first dates. Cars have brought me to homecoming and prom. Cars have been there for breakups. Cars have been there for uh, hunting trips. Cars have been there for vacations. Cars have been there for road trips. Uh, Cars have taken me on road trips. Cars have sent me on road trips, is what I was was supposed to say. Cars have introduced me to lifelong friends, even the ones that don't wheel with me or or, uh, wrench with me anymore. Cars have made me friends where I would not have had any. Cars have made it possible to have long conversations with complete strangers. Cars have brought me on great adventures with great people near and far. Cars have shown me mountains and valleys. Cars have made me money. Cars have costed me far more money, however. Cars have helped me procrastinate schoolwork. Cars have taken me to visit family. Cars have got, cars have got my heart pumping. Cars have made me happy. Cars have made me smile. Cars have made me cry. Cars have broke my heart. Cars have tested my temper. Cars have tested me physically. Cars have taught me how to get by. Cars have taught me how to do things right the first time. Cars were there for the getaway vehicle for my wedding. Cars took me on my honeymoon. Cars keep me out of the bars. Cars bring me to the bars. (laughs) 
cars have made me unique. Cars have kept me out of trouble. Cars have gotten me into trouble. Cars have made me work hard. Cars have helped me relax and enjoy life. Cars have taught me to wrench. Cars have strained my relationships. Cars have made me a hero. Cars have gotten me jobs. Cars have made me dream. Cars have given me hope. Cars have get left me hopeless. Cars have kept me off of drugs. Cars has been like a drug. Cars has gotten me dirty. Cars have given me a place to sleep. Cars have moved me to college. Cars have moved me home and cars take me to work. Cars have influenced everything I've done for the last 10 years, from buying houses to making friends. I would not trade even the worst of it for anything else. Cars will always be there in my life. Cars will always be there in my life from taking my future children home from the hospital and taking me on more adventures. And then I went on to tag probably 40 people I know because of cars. So every year that's kind of cool to see and remind me. I mean, we are probably sitting in this room today because of cars. Without a doubt. Yeah, for sure. I know Cody because of Sam's Jeep shocks, and I know Sam because of his Jeep, and and uh, it's just amazing, you know, the the road, the the path life takes you down. And and we talk about that quite a bit, and like you said, you share it every year. But and we've mentioned it before on this podcast. I mean, as far as where life takes you and stuff, and your hobbies define what you do in life. And just like the last episode, we had your brother on, and you know, fish tanks did kind of a similar thing and, and the working dogs did kind of a similar thing. This morning I had the pleasure of joining uh, a whole crew of guys at Jeff Cash's. They all get together every Monday morning at 7 a.m. and they just drink coffee and eat donuts and they just talk about life. They all used to work together, most of them, at uh, World Color Press. And one of my customers, Dan Worley, is a 16-year-old kid in a 72-year-old man's body, and uh, he's invited me up there for, shoot, as long as I can remember. And finally, with the two Mondays that we had off Christmas, the day after Christmas, the day after New Year's, I was able to run up there, and it was it was pretty cool and, and eye-opening to see a group of friends similar to mine at a, you know, a later stage in life that they still get together, they still bullshit about cars, and they still tell, I mean, they're just a good group of guys. Like, I was in there introducing myself to one of the guys, and another guy that I had already been introduced to said, hey, just to let you know, I wouldn't bend over in front of him. Just one of those, like, just funny-ass little, you know, jabbing his buddy, you know, Mm -hmm. just like we do. And it's pretty cool, you know, I, I think, not to get super deep into this, but, like, any kind of passion or hobby has the ability to transcend generations and me being a 32 year old guy going and hanging out with a 72 year old guy and we can share a similar experience. I just think that's pretty cool. And you can't really say that about a lot of things, but you can about cars. So yeah, I was just thinking today I was at the house, uh, leaf blowing some leaves from where I parked my truck and thinking about reading that on the podcast. And I was like, how do people who aren't into cars make friends? Uh, the gym, you know, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I don't know because uh, even when I was living out in Wyoming, I mean, I all my friends out there were Jeep people. I don't know how you can not be in a cars and afford to own them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, growing up, you know, uh, that was a, a big part of uh, of you know 
being in the cars and automobiles as deep as you was is learn how to work on them and and do your own gigs too that's what i always tell people i i i wrench on vehicles because i like had to i remember when i was looking at the uh the Jeep magazines looking at lift kits and stuff and be like, man, this lift kit's $300. I think I can afford that. And my dad goes, well, who are you going to have put it on? It's probably going to be that much more to put it on. I was like, I'm not paying double for this lift kit to have it put on, you know, I'm going to yeah. do this myself. Good so. deal. Yeah. Cool. Anything else new with you? Uh, I have a, somebody wrote in like a fan thing. Are we doing going to do fan mail too at this point? Or you want to circle back? Let's to that? circle back to that. Okay. Um, New with me is yesterday, Dozer came over. He helped me throw the truck bed on my pickup truck, so no more flatbed. A year, a, a year later. Has it been over a year? It's been over a year. Not since I've owned the bed. <laughs> it's been well over a year since I've owned the truck, but I think I've only owned the bed for like six or eight months. So if anyone knows Sam, he has these really, really good ideas, and they always turn out well for him, but he tends to drag it on a lot longer than it needs to be to get it done. That's that's an understatement, I would say. See, one thing Sam exercises in his flips is uh, he counts usage of it towards the profit. <laughs> so if he can use it for a while, still sell it, and make a little bit of money, that's you know still that's even better. Well, I I don't know if that's something I calculate on the front end or the back end. <laughs> Fair enough. But <laughs> you just you just make it what it needs to be. Yeah. So I don't know. It, uh, I only made a hundred dollars on this, but I, you know, I drove it ten thousand miles, so <laughs> I think I won. Drove it for free. I mean, yeah, I mean, not many people enough. can say that, it, or drove it and made some money. Yeah. So I don't know. It just it is however you want to slice it, but it it is more like a truck now, and I'm ready to sell it. So <laughs> it looks good. Looks really good. Well, thank you. Um, let's see. What else? So I don't really have anything else. New Year's kind of came and went. I was in bed before 11, I think. About 10.30, I called her a night. Uh, so that's all that's new with me. So, Cody, what's new with you? I know you got some stuff to share. Oh, man, yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite the year end. Uh, Christmas was kind of here and, here and gone. And then uh, my January is, is wild. And I guess we're allowed to talk about it since it's a short story long. But, oh, yeah. Uh, so my New Year's weekend, we went down to Plainsfield, Texas, and ran the Bounty Course, which, if anyone knows me, I absolutely hate mud, but we got invited down there with one of my really good employees, and uh, it's a great show those guys put on. And basically what it is is it's like a it's a really technical obstacle course that you run one at a time, and you basically race the clock. And we was able to do that, and we went down to Alabama uh, late fall and did it, and I took second two times kind of scratch my second runs you get two runs per per class i knew i had second locked up didn't want to tear the machine up and i said i'll take the thousand bucks a class and go home this year i went in with a little or this 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 event i should say i went in with a little different uh, attitude i was going home with uh both wins in both classes or we weren't even going to unload the car so uh <laughs> we unloaded it um in the small tire class put down a heck of a run the first time um Five, I think I was like five seconds faster than the, than the next next closest guy. It's impressive. So we won the small tire class, and then up next was the big tire class. Same thing, had a really solid run. I knew going into towards the end of the, uh, there's like two turns left. I knew going into that point it was faster than my first run, and I made a mistake. I made a rookie mistake. I should have checked up and slowed down over the, the next obstacle, and it uh, 
it was a, what a, a tough one and I decided to ex accelerate through it quick and it kind of bounced me sideways. I hit a pole and the rule they have there is if you knock the banner down, you're disqualified automatically. So when I hit the pole, I actually knocked the pole off the, basically a tree log sitting on top of another tree that was like kind of V-cut and I actually knocked the, the tree off the, off the post and in return knocked the banner down. Well, it automatically disqualified me. And I was going at the finish line jump a little bit hotter than I should have and I kind of nosed into the, some tires and also broke the front prop shaft when I landed. So not only did I get disqualified, I also broke the machine and they wouldn't let me in. I paid for a second run, so I could have ran again, but obviously the broken prop shaft that wouldn't let me run the second time, so I had to scratch my second run. Got completely disqualified from the second class, which I was eight seconds faster, even with hitting the thing and breaking a prop shaft in second place. So had I slowed it down just a little bit, would have came home with $6,000 this weekend, but hey, we came home with three and had a heck of a good time. So how much hell did you raise with the coordinator about being disqualified? I didn't. I I. I the rule was you break the banner, you uh, you DQ'd, and you know, those promoters put up a lot. They they go out of the way. They put on those events. They don't get a race them. They just got to put them on. I've been there, done that, and my hats off to the guys that do that. Spend their weekend doing. That's a lot of work to put that together so we can go have fun. I would argue their course is probably more difficult to put together than the ones we used to do with Midwest side by side. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, they're they're super. They're like kind of like motocross style. They're kind of back and forth, but uh, with a lot of big obstacles, big rocks, telephone poles. Like Dozer probably can relate to this with the mining um, world. Like I would even call those tires like those massive truck tires. You know, they bury them half in the ground and jump over them, ramp over them, whatever you want to consider. A lot of people just drive over them slow, but not me. <laughs> so yeah we uh went down there did that that was a lot of fun um kind of made a heck hell run down there and a hell run back uh because my january is crazy so that uh, we left uh we left thursday evening for that got down there saturday friday, i'm sorry got down there friday night rode around a little bit friday night kind of partied a little bit and then saturday we got there we raced saturday we loaded up by five o'clock headed home got home sunday and then uh i'm home today which is monday tomorrow tuesday wednesday and then i leave thursday for hot springs arkansas for an event going until sunday i'm home then for five days in a row my biggest stretch home in the whole month of january yeah Hope we get some work done for california yeah, absolutely there. we will absolutely and then the very next weekend work monday tuesday i leave wednesday for um, lexington kentucky for the parts and limited show where the koh car has to go there till sunday and we come home and we leave three days after that for california so from today, after today, I have 14 days in the state of Illinois before we leave for KOH, and the car is not even close to being together. Well, we appreciate you showing up and doing this tonight because <laughs> we know your time is valuable. That's right. We will not be compensating you, though. <laughs> um, the only other uh, are good on new stuff, I have one more thing that I had new is I'm doing that gun raffle again this year, mm -hmm. that Freedom 68 gun raffle. So trying to stick it to the man there and get some cool weapons in the hands of people who need them so, and then help out a great cause in the meantime. So if you're looking for a cool raffle to get involved in, hit me up because that's one I do every year and it's a lot of fun. So, Well, I guess what's new too with me is uh, we're going to be going out to Vegas this next week for the promotional product show. Ballpoint Pen Convention. That's right. So by the time you hear this, I will probably already be back. 
But, for sure, yep. Uh, I'll update that as needed. I'm sure everybody's on the edge of their seats to figure out what the new what the new click pin style is for, you know, 23. Hell, yeah. You're, you're taking some new employees out there this time. It'll be a good time. You it, guys it'll be different. I assumed uh, before COVID, we were out there right as COVID was heating up, like to the point where I was worried that we weren't going to get home. And uh, I figured that'd be the last year I ever went out there. But here I am. Going back out there. It's I amazing. enjoy Vegas. Vegas is a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy it. You must have never went with your dad to a pin convention. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was it uh, was it the Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking about how all the physicists went to Vegas and they, they had to cancel it because like it was the worst earning weekend of any weekend in vegas because all these physicists were like we're not gonna waste our money yeah, they like statistically knew they couldn't win and like so none of them gambled that's freaking hilarious yeah, i don't i don't gamble i don't think i've ever gambled in vegas but i just go out there and have a good time my, so what's your listener email dozer my listener email comes from dominic stork which is josh stork's son okay both listeners said happy birthday also keep up the good work on the podcast i love listening to it so good deal so now we have just more and more people listening that's pressure we've got to you know mold the the youth mind of tomorrow i guess my sister emailed in and uh i guess she's said she's gonna send us an email after every episode she okay. listens to so <laughs> i read episode one comments episode two i'll kind of paraphrase she was very uh I guess intrigued or curious about us both owning almost 40. Well, you have owned 40. I have almost 40 mm. vehicles. She was like mind blown by that. Um, she goes on to just make a comment about like every little thing. Um, she pointed out the, the dialogue dozer. What was his name? Sam Frank dozer. Really? Sam. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, Dozer, can you legally say that? Sam, I don't care. No one's listening. Um, <laughs> and she says she likes all the changes we make to vehicles. And she was just making comments about all of our banter and, like, different things that she never knew about while she was, you know, away, you know, living in Texas, Oklahoma, Indianapolis, whatever. So She's quite a bit older than you, right? Ten years older than me, Ten yeah. Years older, yeah. So you were just an annoying little kid when she was... So my favorite, my favorite story we talk about every Christmas is she was 10 years older than me, so she babysat a lot. And I'm sure there's, she'll probably email in and give us her side of the story, and I may read it when she emails it. But the way I remember the story is I was at Walmart. I'm sure I wanted a toy or was bored, wanted to go home, because she used to take me everywhere. Like, she took me to her high school. She was in JROTC, and I'd just hang out at the high school while she did her thing, her extracurriculars. So I was used to just being drug along everywhere and Walmart or whatever. I wanted to get out of there. I was just being fussy. So she just like walks away from me in an aisle and I'm sure she was 16 or 17. So I'd have been six or seven and some associate came up and, and she was like, is that your son? And she's like, no, no, it's not my son. And I was like, but mommy, don't you love me? And like made this huge scene in the middle of Walmart and made her feel about two <laughs> inches tall. So <laughs> I don't even remember doing it, but it's like burned into her core memories. So that's funny. That's I've funny never heard that story before. Yeah. So is your, is your brother about that much older than you? He's five years older five than years me. Five years older. Okay. Yep. So, yep. So anyway, 
uh, I guess we get into this episode's topic. Uh, Mr. Willenberg and I have owned a couple things together. And, Just a few. Um, always large projects. Always big projects. And probably our most ambitious and definitely the most profitable mm-hmm. was we were lo- – because I had had two different gooseneck living quarter trailers – and the idea was we go on trips, have a place to stay, and a way to haul the machines. Well, we decided in our infinite wisdom that we needed a toter home, which is essentially a truck chassis motorhome. It wasn't even, we weren't even first looking at that. We were first looking at one of the Kodiak chassis. That's, what, yeah. that's what we were like. We, so we were kind of in that class like C. A, like a medium duty. Yeah, that's. I mean, we were in like that class super C. Super C. Yeah, super C range. That's what we were like after. And help me remember, how did we even find this? I joined a bunch of uh, racing like camper pages and they were all over the board from, you know, anywhere local all the way out to California and we kind of had a price range in mind and all that everything available in that price range was either very old or junk or completely junk and I being in my industry talking to heavy truck mechanics kind of had an idea what I was looking for in a large truck chassis and you had the opposite idea because I was looking for function over form and you were looking for form over function, mostly for resale purposes. And all the ones I was finding had like big engines in them with manual transmissions. And the biggest selling point to these toter homes that we were finding was the automatic ones were bringing way more money because that's what everybody wants. Obviously, more demand. Right. My uncle bought a uh, Volvo toter that had a, has a nine speed Eaton, and I think he got it pretty reasonable because it's nine speed. Yeah, everyone wants an automatic when they're looking at those. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna butt in here. I didn't have a whole bunch to do with this, but I've heard two different stories on this. From I don't know how I heard them. I had heard that you had bought it from the guy who, and you can probably get this. You bought it from the guy who was building it, mm-hmm. and then I also heard you bought it from a bank. So, so I guess you can, this, and maybe it's both. They're, they're one and the same, essentially. Okay. So I'll, I'll tell the story as best as I can remember, and Cody, you can jump in here, but we found it down in St. Louis. Yep. And it's a 2003 international chassis, and it had the beginning stages of a sleeping quarters, living quarters box put on it. The box was on. Yes. All the outside metal was on, but... And some inside work was done, but very, very little. There was custom oak cabinets in it. And like the the entryway between the cab and the box were done. And that's essentially it. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything was kind of roughed in, ready to be finished. And we basically kind of came to the same conclusion that finish this thing be worth big money. And I can't remember what they were wanting for it. Do you remember? It had a slide. And that is super, super rare to even find in that style that's not a 15 or newer machine. So um, it, they had when they put the box on this, they had a slide out in it, which, which was a huge. huge increase in value. Sure. So the story is a gentleman 
owned a racing outfit and had was working for another kind of a benefactor maybe i guess you'd say was maybe his sponsor or whatever is kind of bankrolling this whole project and they started this build to haul his racing operation around i'm gonna pause you you're on the right track but if you remember it came from a coach manufacturer. It was like a guy that worked in a coach manufacturer and lost his job. And that's how these guys ended up with it. So like they got it with the box on it and then they took it from there. Then we bought it from them, not even finished. So like it was sold once, not finished. And then it sold to us again, not finished a second time. And the guy's house we picked it up from was a complete custom cabinet maker guy. Yes, and super, super detailed, high-end work. I mean... He had, like, CNC routers and the whole nine. And uh, he took us into his basement. (laughs) I was waiting if you were going to go there or not, yeah. And he had custom wooden shelves made, and he had a VHS tape collection. Do you remember that? Yeah, and, and I mean... I mean, tens of thousands of these things. He Basic, was, basically a blockbuster video. In his he band. was very, it looked like that down there. And he was very much a movie collector. I mean, with signs and um, posters, posters and, uh, and little figurines. I remember he had like a whole area of McDonald's um, fast food toys that were all like related to movies and stuff. And uh, he did a really good job. Like, like the grease lightning movies are all in one area with all the memorabilia for the grease lightning stuff, all in one area. And it was uh it was neat. I mean, I'm sure it's still down there. And, and when he passes someday, that's one heck of a collection that's going to get sold off. So so did was, were you, like, down there looking for a part for the Toter home and just seen it? Or was he like, hey, while you guys are here, you should probably see this? He was a very unique individual, for sure. A super nice guy. And he was just one of those guys that you would know would be in something weird like that. And I don't know how the conversation got brought up, but we were at his house multiple times. And when we went there and we looked at it, Maybe we went and looked at it twice. I don't we, went, know. we went we went and looked at it, committed to buy it, or came to a price. Or No, 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 because he wasn't the owner. Yeah. And he had to negotiate on our behalf with the owner, who was some millionaire out of state or something. And so we went down there, looked at it, made an offer, came back, looked at it again, finalized the offer, and then we... We know, so we had him do some woodwork on it we after did. we started working on it. Yeah. So yeah, this this whole project took about a year to complete it in did. its entirety. Um, the biggest drawback was it was built for my assumption would be for like a sprint car type racing team, and if you've ever seen a lot of the older style sprint car trailers, they have one roof line above the gooseneck. And then they stair step up in the back to allow room for the wing in the car. And this toter home had kind of the same shape to the outside. Made it look really ugly. Yeah. So that was our biggest sticking point. But we figured we could ma- we could work with it because it had way more pros than it did cons. The biggest con when purchasing it, we didn't even it, the biggest con of the whole coach even to this very day we didn't even really deeply consider when purchasing it was the horsepower for sure and knowing what we know now it influences at least <laughs> all of your decisions that's yes, for sure so we just figured you know medium duty truck sure heavy duty truck shouldn't be any trouble but it had a dt 466 with 215 horsepower 
20, um, it only had 20 some thousand miles on it too. It's yeah. super low miles. So we believe that the original chassis was some kind of like Penske truck because it had, you know, diesel fuel only stickers on the fuel tanks. It had like the, if you've ever rented a Penske truck, there's like a little red button on the dash that turns the cargo light on in the back. And there was all like the safety warning stickers in the cab and uh the basic seats in it yeah yeah it was uh, super basic seats which are still sitting out in the woods at my father-in-law's house <laughs> so, so where do we want to go with this i mean i mean i guess we can start with how we built it i mean uh sam was right i had a vision of a uh, high end and high quality um definitely um pretty over function um when we were when we were doing this and sam was a little bit function over pretty so it made it kind of have a have us have a good, good dynamic of what we had going on, and we we have we had owned at that time quite a few different trailer towing combinations, and we knew what was important to us and what wasn't. And I mean, I think it had two hundred and some gallon of fresh water or one hundred and seventy. I mean, that was the biggest the biggest thing that was important to us was how much fresh water capacity it had because when you do the primitive style camping, there's no hookup, so you know you get, you know two or three couples staying in this thing, taking showers for a whole week or whatever, using a bunch of water. So we built 200 gallons of freshwater storage underneath the master bedroom. And, uh, it, it just, you know, worked. Do you remember going up to KOH with that feeling, the jealousy from people like you have 200 gallons of fresh water. <laughs> like people are like asking like bum water off you and stuff. Yeah. They were kind of jealous. So, you know, we, we built that, and like, like Dozer said, it had very generic seats in it. We put some really nice seats out of a Class A, all power, um, in, the, in the driver and passenger side. I mean, we built that thing. I don't think it was nice. It really was. It, it was. If it would have double the horsepower, you'd probably still own it. We, we found receipts and, you know, evidence that whoever initially started the project had way higher expectations for it than even we did we did you're exactly right um there was a central vacuum system uh that we didn't end up utilizing there was um paperwork for an aqua hot heating system which what that is is that's like basically endless heat and it also heats the floor in the coach um so the floor is be like radiant heat and we we found the we found the paperwork we never found the, the unit. unit there was there a w- dishwasher there was there was a dishwasher we did not use that um, an rv style dishwasher which is Again, only found on the super high-end coaches. And probably its most high-end and completely absurdly useless feature was the toilet that was a macerator <laughs> style. Um, with If you know anything about RV toilets, basically it's, it's a fancy porcelain topper over a hole over the black water tank. And when you open the flush valve, it just drops all the way straight into the tank. Well, three-inch pipe, basically. And yeah, and a three-inch outlet. Well, this had the ingenious idea of sending it to a grinder and shoot, shooting it through an inch diameter pipe to the Blackwater tank. Mm. Um, and <laughs> we think about that. God, that was such a terrible idea. We had multiple conversations about how this could very, very likely end up in a disgusting situation with one of us having to <laughs> fix some kind of problem related to the waste that was in 
this toilet and knock on wood we only had one issue with it and it was at hammers yeah. was it at hammers it was at king of the hammers yeah well then you you had found out at the time after that you had like ran to dollar general got a plunger because you found out when it got backed up all you had to do is like push on it once with a plunger just enough to get it to the grinder and it would just sucker through because yeah. it would it would airlock between the toilet and the actual grinding portion and that was always the problem oh, i remember you always had to like flush water before you it, it was all it was a process like yeah. you almost had to like ride it down and laminate it and put it on the wall my yeah. biggest fear always was that i had to pull out like a ground up tampon that was all chewed up in the disposal <laughs> and i was like every time a female would use the bathroom we'd be like listen you can use our bathroom but here are the rules yeah I, it was it was something else but <laughs> We we ended up. I don't we, think I've laughed that hard since then, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> we, the the story in question is really the first ever trip that we took with it, and it pretty much sums up any kind of shit that you and I do together. But we had just recently got this thing into livable shape, and it wasn't even done. It well, it was not done. It was just livable shape. Was the top on it at that? No, point? no, okay. no. It was still wedge shaped, and you invited me to Utah for the uh, parts, parts limited dealer ride. And we brought two side-by-sides and a dirt bike and what else? Two dirt bikes, wasn't it? Two dirt bikes, two, two dirt- side-by-sides, the black enclosed trailer. Yep. And due to scheduling conflicts, you and I flew out and you had your employee at the time drive it out to meet us. And if you know anything about the DT-466, is it's touted as an extremely reliable engine, minus a couple <laughs> not-so-reliable things about it. And the biggest negative to this coach was it had sat for a number of years before we got it. Oh, like, I think we figured it was like over 10. Because of the date code on the tires yep. and, and everything, so... Which we put all new rubber on it. New wheels, new new yep. tires. Um, did we re-gear it before or after? I think before. Did we re-gear it before? Because yep. we, we decided it was a mistake. Yeah, we did. Mis- we, we knew it was a mistake. We went a little bit too much. So when we first got it, I would run like 55 like foot on the floor as fast as it would go. And, uh, it had, we, had like 538 rear end gears or something. Yeah. So uh, we re-geared it before we had taken it on the trip to Utah. And I remember I'm the one that kind of spoke to the, to the guys gearing it, and they were kind of tossed between, like, two different gear ratios. And I opted for speed over torque because, hey, you know. Big got diesel a, truck. got a big diesel truck. That's a wheel. You know, I want to be able to drive this thing at 80 mile an hour. not. And uh, we went the wrong way. And I don't even know if that little bit of gear changing would have made it any different, but it would have definitely helped. It, it would have not hurt, exactly. So anyway uh you you send the guy off and he makes it where joplin joplin missouri and it has a derating issue where it has even less power than it started off with so if you know anything about going out out west we're actually going to sand hollows where we're going so like that's kind of like the southern part so we opted to take you know 40 40 to 44 across Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico because it's a flat road. The other way is through Colorado. You got to go up over the Eisenhower Passes. And we opted going out there that it would be better to drive a little bit far. I think it was four hours more or something um, of a 
26-hour journey, so it didn't really matter at that point, to take the easier roads, fuel, fuel consumption, and we thought it would be easier on the coach. So we made it to Joplin, Missouri before. It laid down. Problem A happened, yeah. So he wheels it into a... International dealer. Okay, it was a dealer in Joplin, and they got it fixed up. Yeah, they put a high-pressure oil high, pump in. High-pressure oil pump. So it's brilliant design, knock on wood, total sarcasm. Um, ele- electrically controlled, oil-pressure-fired injectors, the same as what's in like a 7.3 Ford diesel and a lot of Caterpillar engines, smaller Caterpillar engines, and it takes, you know, whatever 40, 50, 60 PSI oil that your traditional oil pump creates and pumps up the oil pressure to activate these Right, you don't have a high-pressure fuel pump like a lot of diesels. You have a high-pressure oil pump, and the, the oil goes inside the injector, and you have like a big piston for the oil and a small piston for the fuel, and it's like the 1,500 PSI of oil on top of the smaller fuel piston makes it like however many, you know, 2,000 PSI or 2,500. I'm, I'm not a bit, I don't really know, but they use you know, like a volume difference and all that to make the, the oil inject the diesel at a higher pressure instead of using like a P-pump. Dude, just thinking about, I'm thinking ahead of the story. God, I kind of forgot like what we all went through on this. This is this story so, is wild. So, I, I got like phone calls during this too because I think that's when I had my 7.3 Ford. You were, and I doing been in it. you were like, hey, you know about this junk. <laughs> like, yeah, well, oh, you man, know, it's broke down wild. across town. So that's what I know about it. So... The the biggest kicker to this is, you know, taking your car versus a coach like this is like a completely different world. You know, you can take your car to any, you know, Pet Boys or Midas or whatever and do an oil change and, and you know, get a lot of major work done fairly straightforward all across America. And any tow truck can tow it. And any tow truck can tow it with a large truck like this, you have reduced your, you know, number of shops that are able to work on it, your number of tow companies that are able to tow it, and then you add in an additional factor that it is an RV. And mechanics in general refuse to work on RVs because of how much more difficult they are to work on, you know, in general. Yeah, they hate them. Like as soon as they find out it's a, a RV of any kind, that's the answer is no, you know. And I'll kind of just say a little little tip here. I, since this, I've owned quite a few RVs and different different coaches, and I will say, when purchasing or if purchasing one of those, definitely buy the international or the Freightliner chassis, because if you do, any international dealer or Freightliner dealer, whatever chassis it is, cannot tell you no. RV or not RV, if it's an international chassis on an rv they, they have to work on it so versus like a spartan exactly or a so else. that's something that i weigh heavy on my buying purchase because i have been broke down across the country in one and, and dealt with the phone calls after phone calls after phone calls to try to find a shop to work on them. as you'll find out shortly exactly why we're sideborn and talking about mechanics and and stuff like that the craziest thing to me is you can take your diesel pickup truck at least 10 years ago five years ago <laughs> get on the internet order one of 400 tuners and 
get 50, 60, 100 more horsepower out of your truck. So, you know, we're driving this gutless thing. It's like, why don't you put a tuner on it? Like, yeah, that's not a thing in the heavy-duty world. Like, well, what do you mean? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And so between Sam and me looking on the Internet and all this, like, you know, to get 30 more horsepower out of it, it's like a different radiator, a different intercooler. Like your guys' different is, turbo, different injectors. Yeah, your guys' is the radiator was half radiator, half intercooler. intercooler. Yep. So, and, and it, me it, as, a, as a regular person, a, a lay person, you know, uh, you know, you think a DT-466 is a DT-466, but there's like 10 different DT-466 powers. Like you start. There's, there's more than that, but go ahead. Yeah, you start with like your, your rental truck power. And then tow truck ambulance is the, hot is the hot tune. Yeah, and we did find that out. And we, we considered doing that, doing the big conversion, because we did have one of the lowest, if not the lowest, horsepower ratings out there for that engine. And Sam's right. All it takes is, you know, different injector, different turbo, different intercooler, different radiator. And it, <laughs> everything. All, it is everything. It. That's yeah. all it takes. But it is a bolt-on thing you could do. You could buy the ambulance or the fire truck stuff is what we found out was the wild, the, the big horsepower stuff. But, but then it was like a, you could buy all the parts and do it, and then it was you still had to, like, beg, borrow, steal, plead with an international to tune it, right? Yeah. Because international had to put the tune in it from international for that. And being that we would want the ambulance or fire truck tuned and it was an RV – we had to get international to give it to give that to us, and who says that would have done that? You know, right? So it, it was like a probably not, right? Yeah. So we, I ended up finding like a. It re, it reminds me of the old second gen days, the boost fooler that you would put in in line with your map sensor, and it would tell your computer that you had full boost or whatever, so it dump fuel, giving you a little bit more power, but more more of the smoke thing for you know the younger generation or whatever and it was essentially that for the ipr sensor and it basically went in line on the oil pressure rail and told it it didn't have enough oil pressure and kind of bumped the oil pressure up and it would like immediately throw a check engine line as soon as you turned it on so that was a bust but yeah, I, know, I know they have those for the seven threes too. And the problem with the international was it was so smart when it when it throw a check engine light, it would actually derate itself. It would actually pull you know sixty horsepower away from itself as soon as the check engine light was on. So and we needed another two hundred, not lose sixty. <laughs> so and I I remember I did find a lot of guys would put uh, propane injection on them. Yep. And that was like I think eighty horse, no tunes, no adding anything. And I know you considered it, but yeah, we, we we pretty much anything we could after this first trip, um, we considered about every possible scenario to add more horsepower. So anyway, in Joplin, Missouri, they put a high pressure oil pump on it. Mm-hmm. Um, was it a reman? No, it was an international. I don't know. Maybe it was a repop international. I don't know. It was international dealer did it. I know that. So regardless, they put the high pressure oil pump on it. After, what was it, a day or whatever? How, however long it took. A day or two, he was sitting there. He gets it out there, and... After that, it goes... So, no, no, the alternator went out first. The alt, I did not... I don't remember this The alternator part, so. went out first. So, um, the alt, maybe it was in Joplin, the alternator went out, and he was, like, in Texarkana area when the injection pump went out. So, the alternator quit him first and pulled in. That was an in-and-out deal somewhere. Put an alternator on it. Not a big deal. 
ready to rock and roll because we had replaced the batteries, so the batteries were good. Yep. And I remember he ended up actually starting the generator. We had an onboard generator on it, which we had to add. That we put it on. We're there. going to circle back to that. <laughs> that we need to circle back to that. Most genius thing. That's the best part of this whole story. <laughs> this is a dude. This is a, this thing is a story itself. So. We added a generator, so I'm going to back up. So remember when we talked about how we bought this thing, bare bones. It was gutted. There were, I mean, it was a box on a chassis shelled on the outside, right? So we needed a sink, a, a refrigerator, a microwave. Um, heater, heater. Air conditioner. AC unit. We needed everything. It had none of that, right? So me being the, like, kind of like... Cheap ass. Yes, exactly. Bargain shopper. Let's do this as smart as way possible. I say... We need to buy a cheap camper, a three or four thousand dollar camper, and take all the stuff off it because an AC unit itself was fifteen hundred bucks. The furnace was a thousand dollars. So like, we just need to buy a used camper, pull all this stuff out of it, and we'll put it on our put it on our uh, on our toter. Well, we hit a home run when you hit a home run. <laughs> I'm not gonna take an ounce of credit for this. I found a 40-foot triple-slide, triple-axle toy hauler that had been caught on fire, and it had every single thing we needed plus more, and we was able to gut the whole thing with everything we needed. And a generator. And a gen- and it had a generator on it, well, a low-hour generator on it, too. Um, got everything we needed off of it, plus extra stuff we didn't need, and sold the can burn camper for more than we paid for after robbing all the stuff out of it everything so. completely gutted it yeah the wa- one of the water tanks came from there yep. that's how we ended up because toy haulers have big water tank anyway and we had ended up having two water tanks that we plumbed in together which was i mean a whole nother story in and of itself but fluid dynamics really kicked our ass on that one but um so anyway we built a cradle to hold the generator in one of the under uh-huh. storage compartments, built a fuel tank because a diesel camper. We <laughs> those needed are, a, those were built a fuel tank, and it was a big tank. What was like forty two gallons or something? We decided. Did I? Did I build that? Yeah, you built that. Yeah, we had Beerman's bend it and you welded yeah, it. They okay. bent it and you welded it. So anyway, yeah. So we had a generator and all the stuff. A, and, a propane and heat. And Sam is right. I mean, we we had primitive camped that's all I, I honestly until recent just recently like i didn't know any other way to camp besides in the middle of the field with no power no water so we had 40 some gallon of, of generator fuel generator fuel and 200 gallon of fresh water like we could have lived a long time self-sufficient um, self-sufficient and the uh the toy hauler was a 40 foot toy hauler so the ac and the heater was rated for basically twice the cubic feet i guess you could it would say. run you out. i remember that it would run you out i remember we that. uh then what we had so uh it, that was just an awesome deal we found and i found it and we gutted it and i think within a week it was sold um you had I, people fighting over it if yes, i remember right I, yes um it was sold down the road that was a that was a huge perk of purchasing that so i think i'll put pictures a few pictures on the post on facebook i do not have a, a final picture so you need to find the listing one. pictures but anyway um so yeah so back to the story so it, so it had new batteries in it and so we put those on before it left and it had an onboard generator so we ended up starting the generator and the generator would charge the engine batteries also um so we used the generator to get himself to where he needed to go to get the alternator replaced on the on the coach um to get the alternator replaced that was a quick in and out thing i don't even think he was there for more than a couple hours 
And then he got a little bit far up the road and the high pressure pump went out. Then he got all the way out there after that. We met him out there. No troubles from there. No troubles. And again, like we had, we had hardly drove it. We knew it was down on power, but like we didn't know what it was really like because we didn't drive it with a load full of water, full of gear, blah, blah, blah. And we got out there. He was like, this thing is gutless. It'll barely pull itself. It'll hardly do a hill. And we're like, bullshit. Yeah. We're like, dude, you're crazy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not a pickup truck, but like you're, you're, there's no way. So we rode, and we had a great time out there riding. That's yeah, it was still fantastic. It was San, fantastic. San Hollow is probably one of my absolute favorite riding parks. If it wasn't literally across the world, I would try to make it a once-a-year trip. But uh, that, that place is awesome, and we rode. And then we wanted to hit Moab on the way home. Which is the northern route. The northern route. So to hit Moab, we had to go up and over both both passes. Yep. Um, and we... We had we started experiencing our second round of troubles as soon as we got to Moab because remember it wouldn't even make it up the hill. Yes, getting into Moab. So at Moab we went to the Hell's Revenge Trail, and we were probably two miles from the parking area for Hell's Revenge when it finally threw the check engine light, derated us on power, and so we pulled over, checked everything there was to check, called everyone we knew to call. Um, we had the doghouse off of it and inside the cab and we were seeing, you know, we were on the phone with your dad, who's a diesel mechanic. And we're like, well, there's a little bit of oil seeping here. Like, could it be this? Could it be that? And if we would shut the key off and fire it back up, it would run indefinitely at idle. But if you took off, it would go about 500 feet and then derate again. And mind you, it's probably a 7% grade or 8% grade to get up to Hell's Revenge Trail, pulling a probably 20,000-pound trailer behind us. And we were able to inch it all the way up to the parking area. There's a line of people behind us, like all the way down the mountain. And I remember we get to the parking area, and we kind of had an idea, like a a kind of a little come to Jesus between ourselves. Like, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to work on this thing? There's a couple... um, there's a couple like off, not off road, but like diesel mechanics here in Moab. We called them. They were like booked up or whatever. And we decided, well, there's a, you know, we get closer into Colorado. There's going to be more diesel repair shops and everything. Well, and we knew also we were downhill for yeah. quite some time from where we were at and where we were headed was going to be downhill. So we didn't have any big hills to deal with. So we, uh, we opted to say hell with it, dude. We came to Moab to ride, and we just parked that parked that bitch and unloaded our UTVs, and we rode all day. All day we rode. And uh, was there multiple oil changes on that thing, thinking, like, the oil wasn't right? At I, that I'm point like, of the trip, not yet, but that is okay. too calm on okay, the story. Sorry, spoiler yeah. alert. Spoiler alert, yeah. So we, we rode the Hell's Revenge Trail, which, come to find out, is not even – a good representation of what Moab has to offer, according to people that have been there and have informed us otherwise. But Because, you know, Moab being like an iconic uh, riding spot, I, 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 I've been there now twice. That was my first time. I really wasn't impressed at all. I went back there again on a dirt bike. Had fun. Um, I was with a bunch of dirt bike guys. It was a good time. But, again, I've rode a lot cooler places than, than that. And uh, I think people always tell me, like, oh, you just didn't ride the right spots. And maybe I haven't. Maybe I need to go back and with someone that's been there 
go back just us and uh, explore outside where we we were where we had been sure so anyway we decide and i can't even recall now like the whole conversation but essentially we were like it's downhill from here to there let's just get to was it colorado springs no somehow we had found out that it was throwing an oil pressure code so you had your you had a remote scanner that was bluetooth on your phone and you had brought that with you you had just started selling those at that time you brought with you so we knew it was throwing a low oil pressure code dozer actually told us about the sensor the what it's called the ipr is that right yes something like that it's the there's like a plunger in the um, high pressure oil pump that adjusts the pressure and i just i knew about it because my 734 it literally just went out at that exact and time you guys we ended that. up figuring out that it was actually the same part that the ford took and found the part out in auto zone right outside of moab and we changed that part in the like a parking lot across the street of the auto zone that that ipr thinking that's it we figured it out we're gonna be good to go so we drive from moab to grand junction because there was an international dealer in grand junction and we were gonna and and we we had a week to get back and we decided let's just get to grand junction and we'll get to that international dealer and we'll get you know, because we had like the sensor that we found, but we didn't have the actual IPR valve, which is a whole nother thing. And, you know, we'll get the parts we need and whatever. So we get to Grand Junction at late at night the and we pull in and we camp in the parking lot of this international dealership. And we go in the next morning and I don't remember who went in there first, but I do remember specifically that you went in there, Cody, and you were like, here's the deal. We are at your mercy. Like, get us in. And they were like, sure, no problem. We'll get you in. How? And it's it's Friday or whatever. And he's like, we'll get you in on Thursday. How's that sound? Like, a week later, and Cody just has it come apart. Like, that is, that is not okay. And he's like, well, we've got people ahead of you. Like, no, man, we are, you know, we will pay any hourly rate you have. Just get us going because we're at your mercy we're traveling like all these guys can wait or whatever and they would not give up a spot in their shop um they sent a guy out two or three times to run the international computer on it and he's like oh it's it's your high pressure oil pump like no dude we just had it changed literally three days ago four days ago it's not at an international dealer at an international dealer and i was begging him to just turn off the safety codes because if an engine light came on and it didn't derate, it would still have power. The, the issue was that there wasn't enough of a, a mechanical issue causing us to not be able to go. It was the de- the ECU derating the engine, like making it go in quote unquote safe mode, so we didn't tear it up. And I remember just begging, like just just turn that off. And they acted like they couldn't or yeah. whatever. But anyway, they they gave us the number to a couple local guys, and. Uh, I remember we were sitting in the parking lot of this international dealership and it's right next door to like an independent service shop. And we were like, let's track down an IPR valve. They couldn't get us one. They didn't have any, which is strange. Um, but I think we decided that we called Dozer and he said, well, the he Googled it or whatever and the 
Ford 7.3 would fit the DT 466. So I find one at an AutoZone or a Napa or something. And like, we didn't have the freaking socket. So I look over, and there's a snap-on truck <laughs> next door. And Cody's like, what are you doing? I'm going to go knock on the damn door. So I knock on the door. And uh, super cool guy, he, you know, hooked me up with an IPR valve T- socket. Typical Sam, like he knew the part number. Like, hey, dude, you got XYZ457, blah, blah, blah. And the guy's like, yeah, man, I got one, you know. So he, he dealer transferred it to me on and through my computer or whatever. Nice. And uh, we drive to AutoZone. And it's the wrong socket. It's for the newer valve. Oh, idiot. Not the older valve. And I felt like an idiot. And I was like, well, I know this is the socket. Well, ours was old enough. It didn't fit. So we ended up calling a mobile service guy. He came out, had the right socket, swapped it for us in the parking lot. And again, it was one of those things like you shut the key off. It would run for a little bit and then it'd throw the code. So we're like, oh, we got it fixed. Got it fixed. Drive a little more. Did not have it fixed. And beating our head against the wall, beating our head against the wall. And uh, finally. The only plus side of this whole story that, that Sam's not saying is like, this is going on over a couple of days. Remember, we had like a week to get home. And luckily, we were driving a house. So we would just sleep in the coach. Yeah. Different parking lots, different rest stops, wherever. We would just literally just sleep right where we were at. So I remember we found like an independent shop we went to who had like a, a aftermarket scanner, not the international scanner. And, and he scanned it again. And he was like, well, I think it's the high pressure oil pump. I'm like, man, we just had it changed. He's like, well, okay, that, that's, that's what my stuff's showing me. That's, that's what I would point you to. So we go back to the international Which dealer. Which would match what the international dealer said. And... We go back to internationally and we tell him like, hey, this is what this guy said. And he's like, man, we know, but there's no way. Did you change? And I, oh, we talked to Sean Fitzgerald yep. and he suggested you change the pigtails because sometimes when those sensors go bad, the oil gets in the pigtail. So they had those in stock. Obviously, that's a common problem. So we get our wiring kit out. And we and saw we pull it apart and had oil in it. We're like, this is it. We found it. Yeah. This is it. So there, there's so many times we thought we had it dicked. We're like, we, we got this. We're on our way home. And then we'd have like fingers crossed toes crossed we'd fire it up and we'd drive it and then just utter disappointment so we got the pigtails from international put the pigtails on it thought we had it fixed we drove it around for a little bit through the code again and i just remember pulling back in the parking lot <laughs> being being so defeated and, and we sat down it was like at dinner time or whatever and it was you me and chad just sitting in the coast just like completely defeated and chad i, I like nothing against him but he was feeling more defeated than us and he was like put the towel in the glove box let's just get in a plane and go home and cody kind of got shitty with him or whatever like listen dude that's fine for you but i'm gonna have to come back out and get this thing like we can't afford to just set this thing on fire like this is represents a huge investment for both me and sam like you know if you don't want to be here i'll put you on a plane and get you the hell out of here but like we got to fix this until it's fixed basically yeah, and you know, for us, we both had again. You know, we had planned on on riding Moab for a whole. We've been up in a week at Moab, and yeah. we opted to ride one day and leave because of the coach issue. So, at that time, I didn't have the freedom I have now to, with you know, kind of being off work and being gone. And and I remember know. multiple times like fires at the shop. You like not literal fires, but like emergency. You know, probably seems trivial now, but at the time, like a huge emergency at the shop. You're on the phone trying to deal with it from. 1500 miles away you know so we you know we kind of 
I kind of realized that, hey, we have another four days to get home. We're 20 hours from home, 25 hours from home, say, at this time. And uh, let's see if we can get this thing fixed so we can drive it home. But what Sam's not saying, too, is in um, is what, what what was ahead of us was the Eisenhower Pass and the what's the other pass? I can't remember. But the Eisenhower Pass is the big one, yep. you know, 14,000-some feet. So that's what was ahead of us, and we knew we had to go over that because at this point, going back down um, 40 to, you know, 44 west would have was probably another 8 to 10 hours added to our trip. So the shortest way home was to go up over the passes, and that was our big conversation. What are we going to do? Were we going to try to get this thing over the passes, broke, hurt, which we thought we could do it maybe, but I can tell you now after having it under all of its power it had, was there's no way we're getting over it not fixed. Um, or backtrack around, or like Sam said, we were considering basically leaving it, flying home, and then having to fly back out to get it and drive it home. So at what point did we decide that we needed to find a new high-pressure oil pump? So I, when, the, when the aftermarket scanner matched up with what the, what the international scan tool did, we went back and got the pigtails. We had fixed the pigtails, left again, and went back there, and had them plug it in one more time, and I think they told us again it's the high-pressure oil pump light. We had then left. We went to a mall parking lot up the street because they wouldn't let us work on it in their parking lot. You're missing a part of the story. They didn't have one. High-pressure oil pump? They didn't have one. Because you were wanting them to fix it under warranty. Yeah, because we we got it covered under warranty. Las Vegas had one. Oh, yeah, that is right. Yeah, man, see, this is wild. This has been too long ago. Man. Yeah. The whole, yes, that is right. So, again, like at this point, I made myself unwelcome at this dealership. And Cody, being the diplomatic one, never takes no for an answer. And he was on like first name base with two or three of the guys in there and basically told him, here's how it's going to be. You figure out a way to make it work. And the ending of that conversation was we can have one here tomorrow from las vegas and cody was like well i paid whatever thousand something dollars to fix it It was twenty six hundred dollars you know however many days ago what are you going to do to fix this i said well we'll get it here free of charge and we will warranty it across the counter like if you bring us the junk one we will refund your money for the new one that, but that took a battle because they basically said, we'll fix it. You know, it's an international part, international dealer installed it. We'll fix it under international warranty, but it'll be a week from now. And I got them to agree with basically doing a over-the-counter exchange. And voiding the subsequent warranty. And, and voiding the install warranty, yes. I got them to agree to do that, which was not easy to do. Which the caveat to that was, take it somewhere, have them do it. You're not doing it in our parking lot. And we... I think we called that that on the road guy and he didn't do it or whatever and we ended up calling Sean Sean and Sean Sean was like no big deal dude you can do it no big deal like you between you and Sam you should have it done in an hour and we're like well screw it so we drove to a Coles parking lot that had that had an O'Reilly's across the street we we did that on purpose we had found a spot we could work on it that would have any tool or oils where we need close now mind you this is October in Colorado it was cold so it was not exactly great weather 
Um, but we had, you know, our car hearts and stuff. No, we did. We had, we had one motorcycle in the shop scooter. scooter. Yep. The shop scooter. So we had brought my shop scooter along, which is a licensed vehicle, because if you're traveling in an RV, a lot of times you can't get to certain places and can't go get a gallon of milk if you're camping or whatever. So we had brought the shop scooter along as a, as a licensed vehicle to do it. And I remember when we got the injection pump off, I had to bundle up and drive. Like I, I don't know. It, was a, or, mi- it was a mile and a half that, was across the interstate. So it's we boss man just. <laughs> so we uh, did we do an oil change? Bef- we did a couple oil changes before this because your old ma- we oh we put AMS oil in it. So Sam because Nick McCormick told us that's the best, and I'm still convinced it is. But your even dad, if they are owned by perverts, <laughs> my dad and Sean both said, "Get that junk out of that engine. Put Rotel in it or nothing." So we ended up putting oil. Tip. But anyway, so we tear this thing apart in this Coles parking lot and make several trips back and forth to O'Reilly's to get you know parts oil and pieces, and oil pans, and we had some sockets that we needed that we got the you know Pro Tools or whatever that's at O'Reilly's, and it took us. Uh, it probably took us three hours, um, just cold as shit. And like all the screw, all the bolts were, you know, you could get like a 16th of a turn with a ratchet. We'd take turns doing all this shit work, you know, and we get it swapped or we get it pulled out and we basically put it in a, uh, O'Reilly's plastic bag. Cody gets all bundled up with two pairs of gloves and two jackets <laughs> <laughs> we put it in his lap in the shop scooter, and he. I'm just imagining Dumb and Dumber when they, <laughs> when, they do, when they go out to Aspen. There's a photo of something like uh, Sam has a photo of me riding back with the new one. Oh shit! But yeah, so he scooters over to the international dealer, gives him this pump, and they give him the new one. He scooters back. They were shocked of how fast we had that off too, and back to him. They're like, "Whoa, who?" Who'd you take it to to get it off that quick kind of thing? You did it at Coles, you dick. Yeah, yeah. in the parking lot. <laughs> Reason it, and see, that's the one thing I could I could never do. If if I worked at an international dealership and there were some dudes broke down away from home out in the parking lot, like I'd stay late and like help them. Like yeah. I couldn't just be like, "Sorry about you." I, I, I don't get how people are like that. Yeah, you know, I, I can understand that. But, like, being in the repair industry, like, that happens every day. There's some, there's, like. There's always an emergency. There's an us every day, you know. And, yeah. they kind of, and unfortunately, I would agree with you. They should have done a little bit more than they did. But uh, they drew the line in the sand, and it was their line. And let me tell you, I can, I can communicate, talk to people. And that was about I, I had to keep Sam and like Sam you're not allowed to go back in there with me because you're not getting me anywhere. You gotta stay the hell out of here. I was I was in a I was in a moment. Sure Chris Boston just kept asking, Well, how how would you feel if you were me, you know? Yeah. So I I don't think I've ever been more overjoyed than when we slapped that pump back on because Sean even told us like once all you know putting the new pump on it's going to be a mother to start trying to get all the oil pressure built back up and i don't think it cranked that much like it fired right up i feel like i mean jesus was on our side at that point because it did it fired right up and i just remember like almost crying tears of joy like we're going home like we're like (laughs) after all all that we are going home and and again you know we were uh not in the state we're in, in today, but, you know, we were financially okay. But it was getting to the point that we were, like, in it deep as oh. far as, like, just throwing Cash stuff out at it and yeah. oil changes and just 
I mean, we were, I don't remember how many thousands of dollars in repairs and service side guy service calls and this guy's independent shop and this part of O'Reilly's and trying to get this thing home. But it, we, it was costing us a lot of money. We, we both between us brought a lot of cash out of there with us and we pretty much exhausted all of our cash resources for yeah. sure. And a lot of stuff went on the credit card and, and everything else. But we finally fired it up and it was evening. It was evening. And did we stay the night there we in Grand the Junction? Night. We opted not to leave because, we, I mean, we, we had worked on it all day that day. We finished it in the dark. Finished it in the dark. We opted not to leave because, if you remember right, we were taking on a little test drive. That was like interstate exit to interstate exit. And we was able to get right back to the international dealer easy. And we didn't want to, you know, kind of take it on that maiden voyage without you know, being in the, we wanted it to be daylight when we did it. So. Right, right. And, oh, because we didn't want to go over Eisenhower yes. at night. So the next most important part of the story, those are mentioned earlier, that the radiator was also the intercooler. And we, you did, I think Chad drove first. And then when we got closer to the mountains, you took over. I, I took over, yep. And started past all the warning signs, like put your tire chains on, you know, steep grades. Check try, brakes. Check brakes. And well, and yeah. another thing that we didn't talk about was is it was actually illegal at that time of the year to be on the passes without chains. And did we buy some at the no. truck stop? No, we never, we were out of money. Okay. So, again, this is me and Cody were talking about. Screw that street <laughs> sign, you <laughs> yeah. know. And Not realizing how big of a DOT fine that would have been, but hey. And uh, so we, we start up and not even really paying attention we start up the pass, and it goes incrementally a steeper and steeper incline up to the summit of this pass. And about the time we hit 5%, the stop engine light was coming on. And what was happening was that coolant temperature was getting to 260 degrees. And then it would really derate us. And we remember we were being panicked, you know, at first thinking that our fix had failed. Uh-huh. But in reality, the truck was just overheating. And we would pull over on the side of the road with the flashers and high idle it for about four minutes. It would come down right away. And it would come down right away to about 180 degrees. And then we'd pull back on the road, foot to the floor, second gear, just tacked out wide open wide open second gear is i mean is all you could get out of it i mean after stopping and having no momentum pulling that much weight up the up the road we're probably doing 12 13 mile an hour if that i would say that's about right and we could get about a thousand foot out of it before it get back up to 250 degrees we'd pull over again and i don't know how many times we do that It, it seemed like we went up to the summit of the pass and it took us about an hour. One of the things that was working on our advantage was is the higher altitude we were climbing, the temperature kept dropping. I mean, to the fact there was snow. I mean, there was snow on the road that, you know, they were freshly snow plowing. No chains, though. No, no chains. chains. Well, the road was clear. It was not snowing. The road was clear. So that's why we felt confident in going over without yep. chains because technically – you just had to have them. You didn't have to have them on the tires. It, it was your choice if you wanted them on, but they had to be in your possession, yeah. So, and then, you know, fast forward an hour of this stop and go, stop and go, and people honking and pissed off at us <laughs> for holding up traffic. We get to the summit, and I, I asked Cody, like, hey, 
you want me to drive down? Like, no, I got on the backside. And I just remember in the back of my head thinking, this is, this is how I die. <laughs> and I, I don't know how many times I stressed it to you. And I apologize for however much of an asshole I was, but I, you know, I, you know, air brakes, drum brakes, they overheat quickly. Use stab braking. Do not ride the brakes. Use the trailer brakes. Like, Put it in a low gear, you know, put it in second gear. Like, we can get down this mountain at 20 mile an hour. We just came up it at 15. Like, it's no big deal. And I just remember, like, holding my head in my hands on the backside of this mountain, like, praying to God we didn't ball it up at the bottom. And I was like, now, if you need it, they have runaway ramps. (laughs) Do not be afraid to use it if the brakes overheat because they will fade and you'll be fucked. Because it happens to me in the tool truck if I'm, you know, getting in the Midwest, in the Midwest. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, this is a heavy ass rig. And, you know, it's only got two brake axles, got a steer axle and a drive axle and then two electric brake axles on the trailer. And the whole rig, I think, weighed what, 36,000 like that. And I, I was just deathly afraid of this. And if you've ever driven with Cody Willenberg, he kind of drives on the edge. And knock on wood. He's a professional driver, though. <laughs> and I, you know, I've, I've never been in a sticky situation with him, but I've been scared multiple times. And this is one of those times that I was literally begging to God not to let our brakes fade. And uh, we made it down the other side without dying. So I will, I will give him that. He handled it very well. That was uh, like one of the, I mean, that, I never drove an air brake vehicle in my life until that thing. Right. Well, so. I, uh, I drove a uh, semi for three days one summer, uh, but couldn't pass my CDL. So I knew about the stab braking. And uh, when we took it out to KOH that next year or whatever, Cody's like, now Sam says this is, <laughs> I'm like, well, I know. I, <laughs> I, I, I could pass the book part of the test at least. So I, after Eisenhower passed, it was fairly uneventful um the only thing that i will recall is you got to the bottom of the mountain and that was at denver and then we got fuel because we were out of i mean i don't know what kind of fuel mileage we got going up eisenhower pass but we were out of fuel by the time we made it to denver and i remember crawling in the driver's seat in denver and i Okay. And I put my foot on the floor, leaving the truck stop in Denver. And mind you, this, this low horsepower vehicle pulling a lot of weight didn't really go that fast. And, you know, you would gain quite a bit of speed going downhill. We get up to like 80, 85 mile an hour. Then on the other side, you'd be doing 40, 45 up the other side of the hill. And I put my foot on the accelerator in Denver, Colorado. And I did not take my foot off the accelerator till Topeka, Kansas on the turnpike where they have the fuel station in between the east and westbound lanes when I was out of fuel. Drove all night long from Denver to Topeka, Kansas and never touched the brake, never took my foot off of the floor, off the accelerator, wide open the whole time. And got fuel and the next day we were home, so... Yeah, that was uh that was its kind of its maiden voyage for sure and it was uh man it was a that was a that was a trip and we learned a lot on that trip and So then there was a version 2 of this. It was more mild part 2. Part 2 is then the next year we took it out to KOH. So it would have been so actually would have been that same year. So we took it to it was in October when we okay. went to Utah and then so 
January. We went to Utah in October, and then I was actually invited out to Johnson Valley with Factory Polaris Razor um, in December, and where me and Sam had planned to go to King of the Hammers that year, uh, just me and you. Yep. And we were going to sleep in the, uh, I guess you could say, the garage portion of a of a toy hauler that was there. It was a Sundowner, which is honestly, I think, quite frankly, the highest end toy hauler you can, money can even buy. They're all aluminum, super nice, and I had to sleep in the, the quote unquote garage part, and it was freezing cold. Because you went out there a week before we were supposed to go out. No, 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 no. This was a I went out there month and a half before with Factory Polaris. Okay. We went out there pre-run with Factory Polaris. When the um, Pro-R was released. Yep, when the Pro-R was released. So uh, I was out there, and I was out there for a week, and I, I was absolutely miserable. And I remember thinking, I make entirely way too much money to be sleeping in this miserable condition. You know, like, I can afford a nicer accommodation than what I'm I'm up against, and that was, let's get a hotel room, let's... Like there's no way Sam is gonna fly with this. I, I think for you a like. Week. I think you like uh, looked in like renting an RV, but yeah. they were already way like sold out by then. So at this time, we had had our our coach, and um, Sam was obviously very. You know, we can't afford PTSD. We can't Big afford time. to drive this thing all the way back out to California, and I'm like, oh, dude, we can't afford not to because you don't want to sleep out there like I was sleeping. Well, out there. what happened is Cody is like, we're gonna take this. Do not tell Sam, let me handle it. <laughs> and I don't remember, but Sam found out we were taking it before you handled it. Yes. And, and it didn't go well. No. I was <laughs> no, not no, no, no. I remember this. I, I did. I said, Dozer, do no, we're taking our RV out to King of the Hammers. And it's, I don't remember. It's, it's going to happen. Don't tell Sam. I'll deal with this. And somehow Sam found out before I could talk to him. And I called you like, what in the F do you think you're doing? Are you freaking <laughs> retarded? Like, there is no way. You are crazy. I do not condone this at all. And you're basically like, well, it's happening. It's half mine. It's going out. I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. So um, we took it. and Right. Sam flew out. So that, me, Cody, and Cody's wife, Peyton, drove it out there. That was another thing that Sam was against because he didn't want to take off the extra work, and we would have had to be gone longer taking it out there. So me and you drove it out. and uh, I remember when we left Effingham, uh, we, we didn't go very far the first night, which screwed us big time because we hit the snow. Like We left a day early to get past the snow, and we didn't push hard enough. Yeah. And we hit the snow. But I remember when you... Let me drive. It was, I think we were about Texas. And uh, I had driven stuff on my uncle's farm. Like I said, I was a big rig trucker for three days until I failed my CDL three times. <laughs> and you're like, just whatever you do, don't keep it floored. He's like, I just think it's hard on it. We don't need to do that. Well, that wasn't an option. <laughs> so we basically left Effingham, Illinois, floored it. Yeah, and, until we got to California. And so, like, if you if anyone that's listening has ever drove anything that's, like, really underpowered, you have to, like, actually drive it. What I mean by that is, like, if you're in the slow lane and you are coming up on somebody where, like, you want to pass them. Well, but if there's an incline coming, like, you can't pass them because if you pull out, then you're not going to be able to pass them. It's super stressful. Oh, yeah. dude, you have to literally drive it all the time. Like, you're looking deep ahead of the road. You're looking at the track, the, the terrain, the train, you know, the traffic, what, what's what's going, what's coming. You always got to be looking behind you also. 
because you know you're going to be slowing way down on these hills. And um, we drove out there with an open car trailer behind it, not an enclosed, which that made it a lot better. That was also a selling point I had to say. I'm like, hey, we're not going to take an enclosed trailer out there. It's going to be super heavy. We're going to take a car trailer out there. It and didn't matter. <laughs> explain the Snapchat that I got oh, in Arizona. We'll get there. We'll okay. get there. So uh, it, it, in the coach by itself without a trailer was great to drive. It, it was not bad at all. It was, it was fine. I mean, I would say it was normal RV stuff. But with the trailer, it, and, and honestly, with that open car trailer, it was better, but it was still not great. So we get, we, it was drama free, really. I mean, we, got, we, had this, we dealt with some major snowstorm we drove through, put us about a day behind. And then we got all the way to... We were coming into Las Vegas because Cody was going into Las Vegas to buy Razor parts. Yes. We were... I mean, we're I was driving from that guy's place, probably. So there was a huge... I mean, I'm sure it wasn't Eisenhower Pass. There was a big hill climb. Once again, second gear to the floor, getting hot. Uh, I don't know. I think we did pull over to cool off once on that climb. And we got over the pass, coming from the south up to Las Vegas yep. and we were coming down the hill and I remember you could see you know, down the hill is miles down the hill there's a T road with a stop and we were coming down and I thought I smelled burning rubber and I was like oh, I'm not that worried about it so we got all the way to the bottom of the hill and you could hear like I'm like what is this did we blow a tire or something and got to the stop sign and the truck wasn't running and this was all downhill, so I let off the brake, and we coasted around the corner, and it was like the old, like, you know, you see in the movies out in the desert, and there's one gas station. <laughs> it was across it was, the street. It was one gas station in the middle of nowhere at this T-Road. And it was like a no-name gas station, just a, so, like a small mom-and-pop place. I went over. I, I, I had to I ask him about something. I don't know. And... Uh, they were very, very unhelpful. Very unhelpful for being out in the middle of nowhere. So we find the part number for the belt, the, the serpentine belt. Um, and some guy had stopped. Some, like, old man comes over from across the street. Yeah. The subdivision. He's like, oh, yeah, I got some. I, I got, got some belts in my garage. I got some belts in my garage. And, like, no, you, like, you know, we thought we thought like, oh man, he's this guy's like got the belt we knew. It was like no, it was like like a three fifty Chevy small block or something like, like that. But God his bless belt, him. This belt's like him. two inches wide, you know, forty three foot long. So we get on the internet and find an O'Reilly's back over the mountain pass that has the belt. It was cheap, dude. I remember it was like twenty dollars. Yeah. So we have no ride there. And so Cody calls a on the road, like a roadside service truck. Like, hey, we need a belt. This is well, I don't have one. Cody's like, well, there's one at this. O'Reilly's. We oh. called the O'Reilly's, and they wouldn't bring it to us. We were like one mile too far from the store yeah. for them to bring us the belt. Yeah. So if you have a commercial account, they will do delivery. And even if you're if you're not at your place of business, they'll still do like free delivery. And they, we were outside of their quote unquote delivery range, so we couldn't. By like get it. very little. So we. So, uh, I found a mobile service guy. I think you found him. I called him, but. Uh, he didn't have the belt, but I said, listen, I'm going to pay for the belt. It'll be at O'Reilly's. Go pick it up and bring it to us. And obviously, once he was there, we already had, like, the old belt off and all well, this. I hadn't had a shower in, like, days, or it seemed like. So you're like, Dozer, take a shower. So I took a shower. You pulled the belt off, which was the belt. The belt removed itself. <laughs> yeah. The belt was off. Shrambles yeah. out of um, everything. So the guy shows up with the belt that Cody paid for over the phone. 
Cody takes the belt. Cody, you put the belt on yourself. Uh-huh. The roadside service guy did nothing besides deliver a belt. The, well, you had your own tools too, right? Yeah. Yeah, we had our own tools. The, the, the roadside guy didn't get his belt out. We got it. We got it. So we wanted to bring my Jeep out there. I had a four-door Wrangler. That way, if we had any problems with the, with the RV, um, we had a vehicle to drive because, you know, you guys have just had all this trouble. And Sam's like, absolutely not. We're bringing a razor. We're not bringing a Jeep. Jeep. I don't know what your reason was, weight or whatever. So we're broke down, no belt, you know. And uh, so we take a Snapchat. Me and Cody are a selfie out. Oh, hey, Sam, wish you were here because Sam was still a, working. A video. You know? <laughs> we took a Snapchat video. Me and Cody doing selfie mode. Oh, man, Sam, wish you were here. Oh, it's gorgeous out here. You know, no humidity. It was the middle of winter. It's like 70 degrees. And like we're like panning around. Me and Cody are like holding each other's shoulders. <laughs> and we turn and the hood's up on the RV. We're like, oh, son of a bitch. Like, man, Sam, really wish you'd let me brought my Jeep. We could use a ride right now and then just send it to him. No other information. Well, it was it. Two minutes, the phone was a ringing. Because Sam was like, I told you so, you dumbass. What we the can't hell's drive going that thing on? out like, there. Oh, we just worry. had all those breakdowns two months ago. Like, you're an idiot, you know. It was like, you know, the truck sat and we had, I think it had 30,000 miles on it at this point instead of 20. And, uh. No, you got to rewind just a little bit to KOH prep in your shed when your old man serviced the engine and you serviced the generator and we looked at the belt, and you said, oh, man, take a look at this belt. You remember that? I do. Uh, my dad had come out to the shed. We always kind of have, prior to KOH, we have like a shed day in my shed where we, you know, service everything we're taking out there and grease wheel bearings and blah, blah, blah. And I specifically asked my dad, Dad, check out this belt. Is this belt good? And my dad said, ah, run it. Yeah, it'll be all right. It looks good to me. <laughs> So when me and Dozer took that video, we had known that it was just the belt and uh, all was well and we were going to be fixed and back on the road and not be I thought it was blowed up. I thought they were done for. I was like, I ain't even coming to get you guys. Like, you're effed. Like, have fun. So (laughs) we do that. I go take a shower and Cody, the roadside guy, shows up, gives Cody the belt. Cody puts the belt on himself and Cody's like, what do I owe you? And it was obscene. It was like $1,500. And Cody's like, um, no. <laughs> and he, and the, I remember you got in a screaming match with him. And you gave him $300 to deliver a belt you paid for. Uh-huh. And, you know, it was only, I don't know, it was not very far away, 15 miles. I basically said, like, I'm not paying that. And this is what I'm willing to give you. Like, at this point, the coach was fixed. It was running. Like, he was at our mercy. No, it wasn't. Oh, yeah. It was not. So... Cody gets in this screaming match with this guy, rightfully so. I mean, you end up giving him, I think, $300, which for an hour of driving, I feel like is super fair. The guy never even opened his toolbox of his truck. So that guy storms off. All right, well, let's get going. I had went and showered. I had went and showered before we even started because we put the belt on. It's fixed. Good to go. I'm going to greasy now. I'm, I was sweat. I was hot. I think your wife made a pizza. We had lunch. <laughs> Everything was good. I, I had went and showered at this point. And, uh, so the one thing we didn't realize is when we got, when we got to where we went, the truck was dead. And like the truck just don't die when the belt falls off. 
you know, it'll still run, might overheat or not charge. Uh, power so we're like, oh no. So we pop the hood <laughs> and see the cam position sensor, which is also a very important part of a Ford International type motor. The the wire loom was broke. The the uh, serpentine the, belt yeah. ripped the wire loom. So Cody, you know, he gets out his toolbox and you had the, the nice like crimp heat shrink. Uh-huh. Uh, we call up Sam. Sam, bring us a pigtail to KOH. Because they sold a pigtail for it. And Sam called the international dealer here. Yeah, in went town, to Rush and got it. Picked it up and flew out there with it. Which so, is the same part number as the Ford 73 once again. Probably could have got it at O'Reilly's cheaper. So another thing we didn't even get to was coming out of the hills going south on 44 out of St. Louis. We, Cody had had the trailer brakes adjusted wrong and he flat spotted the tires down to cords. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We put brand new tires on that trailer before we left. Didn't make it an hour and a half from home. They were junk. So we're like, well, so Cody was like, we'll get new tires in the morning. Well, every day we'll get new tires tomorrow. (laughs) We'll get new tires tomorrow. So we drove, so we drove all the way to California from St. Louis with flat spotted to the cord tires and on the trailer. trailer, uh, We drove from Las Vegas to Southern California with a, you know, crimped together cam position pigtail. So we do all of our KOH stuff, which that'll be the next episode here. And we get ready to go home and we're like, Hey, we, well, Sam ended up having to fly to Colorado and drive a tool truck home. Long, that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother podcast. But, but we're like, you know, we're, we're out. We're, we're, we are wore out between driving out there and racing all week and being in the dust and the cold. Hey, we need to fix that pigtail. Cody's like, nope, not doing it. It granted, got us here. We're going home. I said, okay, what about the tires? We'll get new tires tomorrow. <laughs> you did. We did switch them with, cause it was like, we had two spares. I think we no. what we did one was, spare. What we did was, is the axle, the, the brake axle it had there was a single brake axle axle dual dual axle single brake so we took the flat spotted ones and put them on the non-brake and put the good ones on the brake and you put one spare on the worst of the two I tires you're right put yep but the and worst of the two we tires. drove all the way back home with, with those cords. babies with cords i mean i was a believer it got to the point i didn't even worry about it like if they were gonna blow they would have blown so yeah. but we Made a believer out of we us on those tires, too. We got in the too. truck, and I remember the only time you had to let off the accelerator was in East Texas, where it's flat, because it would get going 90 on if, if you had flat ground, so you could back off there, but the whole rest of the way was to the floor, and when I got home, I was like, get me out of this thing. <laughs> kiss kiss I remember, the ground when you get I, home. I remember we were going through Texas, because you could see all the windmills at night. Cody was asleep. And Peyton was in the passenger seat. She was keeping me company. She fell asleep. Well, the radio was Bluetooth to her phone. And, like, something happened, like, where the where the music died, you know, and it was Bluetooth to her phone. I couldn't figure out how to change it. I'm just sitting there, middle of the night, just quiet, driving. You know? <laughs> That's the worst. I'm, like, trying to wake Peyton up. Can you get some music going? And she's just not waking up. And it was... I uh, I swore I'd never go back to California after that trip, but that was a that was very mild and a good trip compared to our Utah trip. But uh, it was just thirty hours and something like that is a lot. Yep. And we cannonballed that home, didn't didn't we? Basically, yeah, we did. We did not cannonball on the way out there, but did it on the way home. And 
we're getting ready to make that journey again here in a couple of weeks. Can't wait. Can't wait. So, well, let's wrap this one up. So, so yeah, I mean, realistically, that was the, that's the Toter home story. And, uh, we used it a couple small trips after that. Never, nothing big. And then, uh, Sam, me and Sam opted that it was time to send that thing down the road and, and listed it for really, really tall money. Uh, more than I thought it was even worse. Sam's one to kind of come up with the price and we sold it right away. I mean, within two weeks i mean like yeah uh, to, i mean it was it was sold very way quicker than i'd expect it was one of those things like eh, we'll list it if it sells whatever and it, it sold way quicker than we expected it to and then when it sold and their check cleared you wrote me a check for half of what it sold uh-huh. for is the biggest check to this day i've ever got in my <laughs> life i still got a picture on my snapchat i'm pretty proud of that so um yeah so that's the that's the toter home story for shout out to zeth he asked me to record this one so um i guess we'll wrap it up here guys get a hold of us if you got a a wild story of something that you've done like this or hey if you want to be on the podcast and tell a wild story of something you've done i mean we'd be glad to have you so um email us at ask short story long at gmail.com get a hold of us on facebook and uh, appreciate you listening and uh I guess we'll just see you guys on the next one. See you guys. Yep. Thanks for having me. See you guys. He's pounding down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm he's pounding just like no bandit run. Keep your foot hard on the pedal. Never mind them breaks Let it all hang out Cause we gotta run to make The boys are thirsty in Atlanta And there's beer in Texarkana And we'll bring it back No matter what it takes He's pounding down Loaded up and trucking Are we gonna do what they say Can't be done We've got a long way to go And a short time to get there I'm eastbound Just watch old bandit run can't be done. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound to watch old bandit run. Old Smokey's got them ears on. He's hot on your trail. He ain't gonna rest till you're in jail. So you got to dodge him. You've got to duck him. you got to keep that diesel trucking. Just put that hammer down and give it hell. Eastbound to down. Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound to watch old bandit run.